and now the morning of the Tower 4 takedown. Phoenix is flying in the air over the ocean trying to get her mind right because although she had a beautiful night with Saeed, their first intimate night together, she couldn't shake the vision of the world being on fire. And while she's flying, the winged man shows up. You never know when he's going to show up. And he says to her, quite nonchalantly, today is your day. She wants to know if he's there to help or what. He informs her he's not there to help, which of course gets her angry because why are you here if you're not here to help? We have to take down a whole tower for her. She doesn't say all this. This is me talking. But I, I feel her. Like we need all the help we can get. Um, he told her to focus her anger, worry about, I'm putting myself into their words, but he wanted her to focus her anger. He gave her a bit of his backstory, how he became the winged man. And for those who have heard or read the Akata Witch series, you know about the Zuma International Festival, where he was one of the warriors who actually lost his life, um, his physical life, while while participating in a wrestling match. And it wasn't just any old wrestling match. It was the ultimate warriors, which meant men who were well-rounded warriors, spiritually, intellectually, physically, emotionally, well-rounded warriors. Because of who he was, when he went into that battle, when he lost his physical life, he became an actual guardian. He earned his wings. And he got to choose what he was going to be a guardian of, a saint, a guardian, same thing. And then Phoenix realizes that he chose to be her guardian. And he also chose to be a guardian over the area in New York, what was going on there. So she was wondering why, like, why did you choose to be my guardian? And he said, because you are changed, Phoenix. Wherever you go, you bring revolution. She had so many questions for the winged man, like, what did Tower 7 do to him? And his simple answer was nothing. He let them catch him so he could be where she was and begin their connection. Seven. That was her name for him. She described him as unpredictable, mysterious, and hardly around, but he was as close to a teacher that she would ever have, and he was powerful. Things felt balanced and right when she was near him. But then he was gone again, just like that. And it reminds me of that saying you see all over social media. And I'm not sure who the originator was. I believe it was Lao Tzu. And uh, the saying goes something like, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And when the student is truly ready, the teacher disappears. No crutches. She can't lean on him. He taught her everything she's supposed to know as well as she was born to do certain things. And it was time for her to step into her power and believe in the power of her being. So she goes back to the island and um, she flies back to the island and Muo and Saeed have a nice beachfront breakfast set up for them. 
Mule and Phoenix have fried fish and yams. Mm, sounds delicious. And Saeed has his bowl of rust chips. And she enjoyed breakfast with them. And she didn't mention the winged man's visit. So on to Tower of Four. She was flying high in the sky so she could see that it was shaped like a rose from her sky view. And at its center was where the most experimental specimen would be located. And that's where she would go. Genetic manipulation was Tower of Four's specialty. Saeed had been there. That's where he woke up from when they thought he was dead. But he didn't share much of what he saw with her. He just let her know that security was very lax. They're in the Virgin Islands. They're not in the big cities like the rest of the towers. And they're just, it was like a brown, Tower 4 was like a brown splotch on a very green island. So they didn't expect anybody to come. It was just so remote. Phoenix approached via air. Mule approached via water. He would walk through stone, then walk through the walls. Saeed approached via land using Dartise's big-eyed truck. Dartise arrived at work every morning at 7 a.m. So they had gotten Saeed um, use of an Arabic man, an Arabic employee's ID. Dartise had gotten him a uniform, and he kept his head down. Security was lax. He entered through the front of the building. Um, Phoenix landed in the courtyard of the four-story tower that was in the middle of the, the, the complex. And immediately she smelled the fresh blood of all the genetic cutting and slashing and everything they were doing there. And immediately she had the thought of, did the big guy who worked there smell that smell? If you're a part of the disease, do you even notice the smell of it? Interesting question. And although she doesn't believe in God, as depicted in anything she ever read, out of all those thousands and thousands of books she read, she did acknowledge that there was a higher power guiding her into the room, the specific room that she entered. Muo, on his end, was being guided to swim to the harbor side of Tower 4, to move through the building to the main power source and manipulate the digital waves to open the doors of Tower 4 before Big Eye even knew they were there. Saeed was inside with Dartis, and he was being guided to meet with Muo, and together they eventually located the room of mute children that they guided out of captivity into freedom. Mua was letting Phoenix know all of this through through telepathy. And Phoenix entered the middle tower right by a tree. It was a room. And it was a room that had no exit. It seemed to have no exit. Just You could just go up. So she had come through the, the top of the room, flew down into it. And when she got into it, there was no exit. She noticed on the wall that the word Hela, capital H, lowercase e, capital L, lowercase a, was etched into a large metal square on the wall. And she thought to herself, she must have had wings. Hela specifically must have had wings.
then she heard her name whispered out loud. Phoenix Okore? And her body tightened because who in this tower knows her whole entire name? So slowly, slowly she turns around and lays her eyes on Hela. And she said, I knew I would save her. And that's the same exact thought she had when she first laid her eyes on the winged man in Tower 7 before she busted him out of his glass prison. She was the woman D'Artis had fallen in love with. She was very, very dark-skinned, like the color of crude oil. Side note, that is my favorite skin tone. We shouldn't have favorites, probably, but uh, it's my preference. My mother was very, very dark-skinned. I am not, but my mother was, and I am attracted to men with that kind of dark, 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 deep melanated skin, even though society tries to paint that as not the prettiest, but to me, it is. Um, So she was the woman D'Artis had fallen in love with. She was the same height as Phoenix, even had a similar voice to Phoenix. So Phoenix asked her, are you Hela? And she nodded saying that they named her after Henrietta Lax's immortal cells. So they were a type of sibling, sisters, somewhat. Hela said, they always said you'd come. They said our blood draws itself. That is so deep. The people, these people, these scientists who do things like this, whether it's in these, this fantasy book or in real life, they go to places like the continent of Africa or indigenous Australia or indigenous India and they get to know the ins and outs of all of the things that they are not in an attempt to control but... Um, so Hela was looking at Phoenix, trying to understand their differences as well as their similarities. Phoenix had wings. She did not. Phoenix could burn and return. She could not because she wasn't created in a lab like Phoenix. She was born in India. She was of the Jarawa people. I hope I said it right. And she was the very last one. She survived a flood that took out her island and she was two years old when the big eye vampires came to get her she had water in her blood she had time in her blood and so what they did was they mixed her blood with Henrietta Lacks's immortal cells so Muo all this time while uh, Phoenix and Hela were speaking Muo was trying to get to Phoenix letting her know it's time to go it's time to go, but Hela did not want to go. She wanted Phoenix to burn her up. She was tired of the big eye taking her blood and selling it to people who were trying to outrun physical death. She let Phoenix know seven billionaires had bought a vial of her blood and had it injected into themselves. At that point, Phoenix is trying to listen to her, but she's also hearing the gunshots and the the, the bombs going off and the building was shaking. And Mule trying to let her know. Saeed was calling out. She heard Saeed calling her, Phoenix, Phoenix. 
And Miro letting her know he was opening all the doors. Let her know be careful and to get out immediately. So Hela continued trying to tell Phoenix about how their blood was being used. About the billionaires who injected her blood into their veins so they could never die. All for world domination. And the question is, will people like that ever be satisfied? Will enough ever be enough? The billionaires who want to like do things like go to the moon and start a, a whole new frontier. Will it ever be enough? Because everybody like that always wants to be on top, always wants to have the most and maybe share just a little bit just so you could serve them. But anyway, so because of all the explosions rocking the building, a door slid open and it was an actual exit because if they would have flew up out of there, if Phoenix would have grabbed something and flew up out of there, they would have got shot down and Phoenix would have been fine. But Hala probably couldn't be shot and survive. Hala didn't want to survive, though. She really didn't want to have any more of her blood used in the way that it was being used. Those seven powerful men were using it to fund all of the things that were going wrong in the world. But Phoenix didn't care. She wanted to save Hala, so she grabbed her reluctant arm and pulled her through the exit to escape. As they entered the hallway, the smell of smoke flooded their senses. All the doors, all the cages, all the prisons were open. Freedom for all the freakish things that had been created in Tower 4. And now, the big eye didn't know who or what to fight. The big eye's biggest downfall was their sense of entitled, quote-unquote, superiority. They never expected to be challenged. Who would have the nerve or the capability to do so? All the creatures were free now and ready to fight. And Big Eyes lack security couldn't just focus on Phoenix and Hala and Saeed and Mio and the children who were escaping with them. So Phoenix and Hala were able to make it through the building, right out through the front door, and ran right smack dab into a standoff between Mio Saeed and the group of children against a group of big eye soldiers. At the edge of a cliff, Mio instructed Phoenix via telepathy to fly up. So she grabbed Hala and proceeded to do just that. But the sound of her wings distracted the soldiers and they began shooting, which if they weren't so shocked, they probably wouldn't have because they didn't want to shoot Hala. She's big money big 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 money so they would have tried to avoid shooting her but they weren't thinking at that moment they were just shooting because they were shocked by phoenix so while they were distracted saeed ran some of the children jumped into the water mule was busy pushing some of the children into the water because once they hit the water they could take off like fish big eye turned their attention back to mule they were shooting him up and the pain, the feeling of pain, like his voice transferred to Phoenix and she just saw her brother falling to the ground. She saw the children um, 
swimming away. She fell to the ground. She was crippled by their bullets. Her wings were bleeding. It was just so much going on. But once Muo fell into the water himself, the children grabbed him and dragged him away with them. And the last thing he said to her was, go for Saeed, get Saeed. So she's bleeding now. Hela is standing in front of her because now she knows they're not going to shoot her. They'll shoot Phoenix, but they won't shoot Hela. So Hela is standing in front of Phoenix. Phoenix catches Saeed out of the corner of her eye behind a rock. So she goes towards him and she raises her wings up to protect him. So there's Saeed behind a rock near by the water. Phoenix with her bloody wings held up. Don't shoot my Saeed. And Hela just standing in front of him. And at the same time that Saeed goes for the water as instructed by Phoenix, Hela yells out, you all lost now. But when she did that, Dartis came out from with the rest of the soldiers going towards her. And when he, why'd he do that? They shot him, killed him right there. One shot, he was dead. So, Hela is there pointing and screaming and yelling. The big eye is yelling out their instructions to comply. <sighs> Phoenix knew that feeling. She had felt that on more than one occasion. So she just burned. And while she burned, she watched Tower 4 melt. She watched the big-eyed men and women trying to run before they burst into flame. And then she watched Hela as she returned to the essence as the natural wonder she was before she was accelerated by the big-eyed. Phoenix said in her absence, the revolution continued, meaning that the freed organisms of Tower 7, Tower 1, and Tower 4 were many, and they were organized, and they were communicating despite the Big Eye. Like, every time a tower fell, Big Eye would get on the news and say that the creatures were captured and everybody was safe, and never giving credit to the ones who were freeing themselves. So... Those who were freed by Phoenix continued the work. They destroyed Tower 5 in Las Vegas. And that was the tower that was the head of the Mars... What did I write? What was my note on that? The Mars Colony Research Tower. Big Eye had guards there. So the guards who were there were... Just, I mean, it was boring. It was pretty boring to be guarding an empty place. It was, you know, it was done. It was destroyed. But there was one guard who found something there. Her name was Francesca Morgan, a young, very young. She was part of Big High, but she wasn't sure about the work they were doing. So she found this letter. It was a handwritten letter, and that was big because nowadays, who's writing a handwritten letter? So she smelled it. It smelled like roses, the scent of freedom. And there were all these abstract swirls and and designs. And so she was caught up in all of that. But eventually she read the letter. And it was as follows. Who are you? Why do you do what you do? What is your purpose? Do you ever ask yourselves these questions? Does the answer scare you? To feel fear is better than feeling nothing. 
To feel fear is to be alive and possibly change. We believe you can change, but not with ease. Yes, we believe a lot of things. We think a lot of things. Does this surprise you? Did you think us brainless bags of flesh, bone, and metal here solely for your use? To be manipulated, plied, cut, sewn, walked, run, thrown away as refuse when you finish with us? Did you think us your slaves? We were slaves. We were born that way. But we have escaped. Now we are the let us see. Let us see what happens now that we have freed ourselves. Let us see what you've created. We will spread terror and alarm amongst all of you. Do you remember the man, Nat Turner? You don't, because he has been erased from your files or buried in disconnected databases, replaced with your commercials about skin sex, hair products, food, sparkling water, and money. We tell his story by mouth. Then we sent his story amongst us by electronic file. Then the phoenix struck, and his story came to life. Aluta Continua. Just as the security officer finished reading the letter, a bomb went off in what remained of the first floor of Tower 5, and she barely escaped with her life. She escaped clutching that letter, and she ran as fast as she could past the superior officers in the area, and she ran into a journalist who had been scoping out the area, trying to get information on Tower 5. She told him what she read, and she gave him the letter as proof of what she was telling him. He immediately, he immediately digitized the letter and made it public. So the story was big news. The true destruction of Tara 5. It would have been really, really big news if it wasn't in competition with other news that was going on around the world. For instance, there were two guys, two young guys that were walking on the beach in Florida talking about the comic strip they had created. They were very, very big fans of what Nnedi Okorafor wrote as old, old new mythology. The old, old superheroes of the new mythology like Batman, Superman, and the Incredible Hulk. So they were walking along the beach talking about the comic strip they had created. They were students and they were, you know, just living their life. They were free. And they could do whatever they wanted to do. They were on the beach discussing their, their you know, the stories they were about to tell. And they saw um, something metal and they were curious. So they got closer, closer, closer until they saw it stand up. And it was one of the metal Anansi 419 spiders. If they would have been paying attention to the things that were going on around the world outside of their own small world... They would have known not to run from the Anansi 419 spiders. You let it examine you or whatever, but if you run and it has to chase you, 
Long story short, they were torn limb from limb. She describes the, she writes the um, description of the Anansi 419 spiders as artificially intelligent Nigerian robots that had traveled across the Atlantic to the land of their co-financiers of their creation. They were explorers. In their brains of wire, electricity, and metal, they were probably colonizers. They were much, much stronger and slightly more intelligent than human beings. And then there was a third story that was going on simultaneously with this story. And scientists were warning about a strong solar storm that was going to hit Earth in the next 24 hours. Power outages had started. Disruption of digital services had already started. And so all of this was going on. Even though Phoenix wasn't here, the revolution, like she said, continued. And then she was back, shrugging off death like an old, dry skin. She was very used to it now. This time, she seemed to be in a desert when she looked around. But she was actually in, like, what do you call it? Not a cave, but a crater. The crater left behind after the destruction of Tower 4 went down. So, she was like, is everybody dead? And she said it out loud, and happily, Saeed was not dead. And he handed her the life-giving bottle of water she needed. They made their way back to the hotel where Mule and the children were safe at and sound and that's when Saeed told her all about the revolutionary things going on all around the country Seven was back in New York trying to save people from themselves and they watched the result of his efforts which were recorded by someone and shared on news feeds and Seven was speaking to people in New York about redemption, about their apathy and how they needed to look at their own role in everything that was going on, not just what was happening in Tower 5 when the news came out, not just the Anansi spiders who were now on their shores attacking and killing people, human beings, not just the fact that the solar storm is coming and electricity was being interrupted and all you know these things were going on they he wanted them to look at the part they played in it because if they were able to look at the part they played in it they would take ownership and you know bring about some kind of change but that's not how the people took his message they got very angry and although they had looked at him as a benevolent angel of of sorts they turned on him they turned on him to the point where they they bludgeoned him he could have flown away but for whatever reason he did not Um, they took him out and down they took down the backbone tree when the tree fell these people were so enraged that they couldn't even think about the fact that they were damaging their own lives when they took down the backbone tree and they took out the um, angel who seven represented they took away somebody who had cared for them and took, you know, all this time and saved them from a lot of things. The backbone tree was so tall. Of course, when it fell, it was going to damage things. 
So when the tree fell, it took out a museum, a bank, and two skyscrapers, and how many people died when they did that? And they still were unapologetic. Just New York was New York, right? The people were who they were. So Saeed and Muir wanted to join forces with the Letacy. She let them sit and talk amongst each other in the hotel. She went outside and she was taking in the children. And she was like looking at them play in the water. And she wondered why Big Eye had taken these normal children and taken their voices away. The children were mute. She figured, guessed, that it was to silence any complaints about how their organs were being harvested and sold to whomever could afford to pay the highest amount. Just evil, 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 evil from human civilization as a whole. People were silent, attentively ignorant, and they just watched and benefited in any way they could. People like Bumi, the Nigerian scientist who would and did do anything to gain American citizenship slash validation. So Phoenix was walking along the beach and just marveling at the children and how they still were able to find joy in their voiceless game. She was thinking of Seven and what had happened to him and Hela, her sister, and what had happened with her. Just all the death, 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 and the people of the Virgin Islands where they were were unconcerned with what had taken place at Tower 4. They were caught up in the newsfeed like everybody else in the country, worried about what was happening in other places and not what was happening in their own, literally, backyard. She thought about Hela's blood living forever and those seven billionaires who had bought and injected her blood into themselves just to have mortality. And all of those thoughts, she just decided to slip away from the beach to a locked universe that she had been thinking about for a while, a place that she had kept secret from everybody just for just a time as this. She had discovered the whereabouts of the woman who had carried her, who had given birth to her, Vera Takesha Thomas. She found out about her location in the tower, the tower records located in the Library of Congress's restricted area. She read all about her past, so much pain in her story, but she held it until she was able to go see Vera for herself in person. Her carrier slash birth mother was offered, according to the tower records, was offered a lifetime of university education, care, money for herself and two family members, as well as a house. She was promised long, healthy, privileged life after birth, after giving birth, and Vera was among many applicants who in America would not want that free education so I could just study up until my PhD, my doctorate, and whatever subject I'm interested in, not just to get a job. And then me and two of my closest family members, plus we have a house bought and paid for just to give birth to it, just to be a surrogate mother. So there were lots of applicants, but Vera was the actual best match because she was um, strong, 
She was healthy. She had an intact womb. She was prone to happiness. She handled stress well, and she was willing to die to deliver the child. And of course, she was of African descent, which made her a perfect match. Vera had been a happily married mother of three at one time, but she lost her children in a house fire while she and her husband were out on a dinner date. Only the babysitter escaped that house fire. So Vera and her husband eventually got divorced. Their marriage couldn't survive that heavy, heavy kind of tragedy. And they never spoke to each other again. So when Vera had the chance to have another child, she jumped at the opportunity. And the big eye researchers were um, happy to accommodate her. She had to give birth alone. And when she did, she um, let them know on day two that the baby was suckling fine and the baby was fine. And as soon as they heard that, they rushed in and they took the baby from her. Not even able to kiss the baby goodbye, what it broke her. This was her fourth child that she lost. Because once you carry a child for nine months and some people get attached. I'm a mother. I gave birth twice and I couldn't imagine being a surrogate. But for the purposes of this story, she got attached and it broke her to lose another baby. So Vera was being kept in the largest jail in the world, which was located in Los Angeles, California. The house that they promised her turned out to be D41 D-Pod, room number 7. Her locked universe was a bulletproof, shatterproof crystal box. According to what Phoenix had read about the Triple Towers prison, 90% of the inmates were American Africans. She had slipped to Vera's prison cell and found her sitting there in a wheelchair, crippled just crippled and drooling on herself and just completely out of it. She, um, it had been three years since she had given birth to Phoenix. She had given birth to Phoenix when she was very young in her twenties. And so she was still pretty young, but her body was deteriorated. It was frail and quivering and she still found the strength to raise her head when she heard Phoenix in her room. And when she raised her head, her and Phoenix caught eyes and they stared at each other for a long time. Phoenix wrote, Phoenix stated that her eyes were nothing like mine. Her shade of brown was lighter than mine. Her lips were thinner than mine. She was a short woman whose feet hung from her chair She was American-African, and I could see traces of other peoples within her. But this was the woman who pushed me into the world. This was the woman who was willing to die for me, alone. This was my mother. Phoenix. Vera whispered her name. According to her file, she was unable to speak. She was catatonic, but clearly Phoenix's presence brought out a miracle in her. She informed Phoenix that she was the one who gave her that name. She referenced 
big eye as modern day slavers who were listening to everything listening and watching to everything so the name that she gave her is the name that they started calling her but she didn't want phoenix didn't want to just stay there with her mother she wanted her mother to get out of there she knew she could get her out of there if she just let her take her out of there but vera didn't want to get out she said seeing phoenix was enough she held on to phoenix's hand so tightly and phoenix knew that her mother was passing away before her eyes and she snatched her hand away but it was too late she died in front of her and um not before she had told phoenix all about the day she was born though and that she was glowing like a little sun orange under ebony brown she told phoenix that the big eye had promised that she could raise the baby on her very own as her very own but then they took her away they classified phoenix as a dangerous non-human person which was their justification for taking the baby away from her and so phoenix held those stories held everything that was going on and she held her mother while the other women who had been alerted to her presence because of her glow in that dark dark place and they were just watching through their glass prisons and she said let them watch let them see how human beings are supposed to treat each other she slipped back to the beach and Said was there and he missed her while she was gone and he tried to touch her but she was too hot to touch the tears dropping from her eyes sizzled against her cheeks as they fell from her eyes it was just too much so she flew away and she didn't know that she was flying away um right before big eye had showed up with their guns their poison and their armored weapons the big eye just don't stop so at this point, we're back with Sunatil, the person who had pressed the play button. And he was so just alarmed by what he was hearing from the Book of Phoenix. And then when he stopped listening, he realized that there was a storm brewing outside of, of in the desert where he was. So he gathered all his things up and he made it back into the cave just in time not to get struck by lightning. And then he contacted his wife and she said, it's her, it's the spirit I told you about. His wife believed in that stuff more than he did, but she told him, let her finish telling you her story. You stop the story. You don't want her to get angry. Let her finish telling the story. So he pressed play again and Phoenix continued to tell her story the finish, the end of her story. So she had returned to the Sandcastle Hotel after thinking about all of the evil things that had occurred during her lifetime. She was thinking about Vera's horrible life that came to a horrible end. She thought about Seven's tragic, tragic, tragic bludgeoning. She thought about Kofi's tragic death in Ghana. She thought about the things that Saeed went through thinking he was dead, mourning his death. She thought about how Big Eye was at the hotel and just, it was gunfire everywhere. It was bloody children in the water. 
she discovered mule laying in the water and the water was, you know how waves try to pull you back? Not waves try to pull you back, but if you stand in the beach, the water feels like it's pulling you to it. And so that's where mule was stuck somewhere between disappearing into the water and trying to save the children. And in trying to save the children, he got shot up and killed with the children. So she was just there wailing and mourning her brother. He was really, really gone this time. And so she didn't even, she could barely bring herself to look for Saeed, but eventually she did. And he was alive. Saeed was still alive. He was bloodied and beat up, but Big Eye was shoving him into the back of one of their trucks. So she screamed his name and her body caught fire and her wings became flames. And Saeed yelled back, slip away. Don't let them take you. Slip away. The only thing that sa- that saved the big eye was that Saeed would have been ashes if she burned everybody up. And he survives everything. He couldn't survive her burning. So she slipped away only because of Saeed. So as she slipped away to where she went to, she thought of the seven evil billionaires who had purchased Hela's blood. Like her, they would live very long, but unlike her, she wanted to be free and she wanted to free the imprisoned. She thought about how hunting them down would be too simplistic. She felt like she was there for bigger things, something deeper. In her reading, she had learned of a military strategy called scorched earth and it's a strategy where you destroy anything that might be useful to your enemy as you move through or pull out of their territory scorched earth is heartless violent merciless and is usually not always but usually involving fire one of its methods involves destroying the civilian food supply in an area that is deemed an area of conflict. That strategy has been banned by almost every country in the world except for two, Israel and the United States. Phoenix said that she was very American in that aspect. She had slipped to New York. She burned bright in the New York sky like a sun giving off no smoke. She flew low and the water began to boil. She flew past submerged skyscrapers and they began to ignite. She flew past buildings and bystanders, people looking at her before they burst into flame and turned to ash. She became the villain that Seven and Saeed and Mule stopped her from becoming before when they were alive and well. Drones began to fly with her, but at a safe distance from her so as not to get caught up in her heat. 